Hi, and welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast about healthcare ethics and practice presented by the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network. This podcast is currently a time-limited trial to see if we can make our resources more accessible by putting them into audio format. I'm Marika Warren, Network Ethicist for the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Lisbeth Withoff-Nielsen, to talk about one of our featured articles. The featured article summaries are available on our website and there's a link in the show notes as well. So to start us off, Lisbeth, can you give us a brief overview of the article, Pandemics and Beyond, Considerations When Personal Risk and Professional Obligations Converge by Daniel J. Benedetti et al. that was published in spring 2021 issue of the Journal of Clinical Ethics? Sure. So the article we'll talk around today um, examines the extent of healthcare providers' professional obligations to take on risk in provision of care for patients during uh, infectious disease outbreaks. And while most scholars would agree that healthcare providers have some degree of professional duty to take on risk during times such as a pandemic that we are experiencing now, there is no real agreements around the extent of this duty, and that's what this uh, paper is trying to provide some guidance on. It examines how the concept of risk relates to healthcare providers' professional duty to treat patients during infectious disease outbreaks, as well as um, how risk relates to healthcare institutions' obligations to a ensure the care for patients and be also a safe work environment for its employees uh, while they care for patients during an infectious disease outbreak. Uh, The paper argue that the extent of the duty of healthcare providers to care for patients during an infectious disease outbreak to a high degree depend on the level of risk involved to the healthcare providers. Um, And on basis of their analysis, the authors propose an ethical framework to guide institutional policy that's intended to manage risk for healthcare providers uh, during the current pandemic and beyond, which the title refers to. The framework itself considers benefits to patients and it holds this up against the risk to healthcare providers. And it's suggested by the authors that it can be a useful tool for any hospital, health agency and or clinics. Terrific. So maybe to start off our discussion, Elizabeth, do you want to give me a sense of what you found interesting about this article? I think the first thing that really stood out to me uh, when I read this article is the challenges around assessing and navigating risks. And in particular, when you're trying to assess risks and there is um, a high level of uncertainty. So ideally in assessing or determining a healthcare provider's duty to take on risk, you would want to know the actual scientific level of risk involved. But the problem is, of course, that when you're dealing with novel infectious diseases such as COVID-19 and also what we've seen in the past and which the paper also uh, brings into the discussion, namely HIV, Ebola, SARS um, and flu specific new novel flu strains, you might not have data available for such risk assessments and you might have very little data or it might not be sufficient to give you sort of a, a clear answer with regards to the actual risk involved for healthcare providers who are caring for patients with these novel diseases. So. Um, On the one hand, um, 
actual or technical risk might be unknown or it might vary depending on the healthcare setting. So that's a challenge. Um, and it might also vary depending on the type of healthcare that's being provided. Um, plus the magnitude of the risk uh, to healthcare providers also depends on the availability of safety measures provided by healthcare institutions. So for example, PPE or measures around social distancing or vaccination. And so in situations of uncertainty where actual risk is unknown and where very little data is unknown, what do you do? Um, so what should healthcare institutions do and how should they navigate this uncertainty in those situations? Um, and that's that's what really stood out to me. I think the article did does a quite nice job in really illustrating the challenges around that. And of course, healthcare institutions can choose to err on the safe side, uh, on the side of, of precaution. Um, but obviously, values come into play in, this, in situations where there is uncertainty and institutions might find um, that there is a tension between the obligation to provide care and to protect healthcare workers. So, Yeah, I think I had sort of some similar reactions to the article as you around that uh, piece of risk. But I think the other thing that struck me and that isn't addressed uh, in the article as much is the fact that even if you do have some objective data about uh, degree of risk, that there's there's still a lot of values that determine what we do given that information. And again, both individually and as organizations. And so I think there is a piece there around the sort of value-ladenness of our response to risk um, that the article didn't really get into. And uh, what strikes me based on a lot of the experience through COVID uh, is that even, even if it is a perception of risk, and I think in the article and often in our discussions, we sometimes are say, well, it's just a perception. It's not the reality that that perception still has very real effects in terms of what healthcare providers are or are not comfortable doing and that relates to their own professional and personal values. So I think there's an extra layer of complexity in terms of how we address the perception of risk uh, when we're creating policy um, while wanting to recognize that um, there are objective measures that we can bring into play. So again, it's, it's an example of where the values play a role and so too do the facts and how do we bring them together in ways that serve the interests ultimately of patients uh, that were and the broader community that we're trying to serve in healthcare. And another piece that that I've been thinking about is um, the argument that's often made, and that comes up a couple places in the paper, that well, healthcare providers know what they're getting into, that this is a field that necessarily involves extra risk. So it's okay to expect them to take on extra risk. And I was reflecting on whether uh, that that was the case um, for a lot of folks going into training um, prior to having this really global experience of an infectious disease outbreak and you know, the difference that we all know between what you think you will do in a situation and then what you might actually do when you're in it. So I'm reflecting on whether we'll see a shift in terms of what learners entering the health professions uh, understand about the risks that they take on. And I know that you're involved with education for med students in particular. So I'm wondering if you had some thoughts uh, about that as well. 
Yeah, I yeah. So I I've been, as you know, I've been tutoring in the professional competencies program in the med year one um, for the past seven years, and and every year early in the year we have a case where we discuss uh, physicians' duty to treat during infectious disease outbreaks, and it's always interesting to to hear um, how learners are imagining uh, what they would do in such a, a decision uh, or in such a situation. But I certainly think that um, for those who are in training now, they will come in much more informed um, and potentially have a more reflected view on, on what their professional obligations are to take risks on. Um, and, and the reason is I think people have a better understanding of situations in their family life home uh, or at work that might make them um, more risk averse for example or things that might make them uh, more inclined to take on risk um, uh, because we are all living through this and and we are experiencing this every day so so i think at least for a number of years to come that trainees will um, will go into or consider this question from a more informed background than it was than it have been possible in in the past. Yeah, and I was wondering, you know, whether that then shifts how you know we as sort of as the public or as healthcare organizations then think about what it is reasonable to expect of uh, healthcare providers as well, and so whether there's sort of that more informed consent, but then also. Um, greater justification in saying almost, you know, you healthcare providers, you knew what you were getting into when you entered this profession. You you knew in a, in a different, like you say, a more informed way that this is part of what you take on when entering into these sorts of roles. Um, but I'm also reflecting on the fact that we've been talking about, you know, healthcare learners, um, healthcare professionals in this discussion, and the article does as well. And I think the broader literature often focuses there. Um, but I think another thing that's certainly been very clear for us all during the pandemic is that it's not just the healthcare providers or the professionals that uh, you need to keep a healthcare system running, that there's a lot of other folks uh, within the healthcare system, um, you know, the maintenance and custodial staff and administrative staff um, and other support staff, all of whom uh, potentially are also exposed uh, to risk and don't have that same sort of, you know, as, as a professional, this was part of, you know, what you were trained to do or what we can expect you to do. So I was thinking there as well that we need to expand some of the conversation around this to be more inclusive of risk for everyone who's involved in healthcare delivery and really reflect that in the policies that we develop. Yeah, I think one thing that a framework like the one that's presented in the article uh, does not capture is that when you introduce a risk management um, policy to protect healthcare providers, you might actually increase risks for other workers that work in the healthcare institution. Um, I'm thinking, for example, um, you introduce screening policies because you want to protect healthcare providers, so you want to you want to sort of ensure that the healthcare institutions or hospitals are are safe 
Um, but at the same time, it might come with a downside for those who then have to um, sort of implement the policy or live out the policy on day-to-day basis um, and what they might face of um, of critique or or concerns by the people that they might have to turn away um, at the door or might have to ask to provide evidence of vaccinations, for example, right? So um, I think that's that's... I mean, that's when it gets really complicated. <laughs> so Absolutely. You, I think that... How do you manage these policies, right? Yeah, but that's a really, a really key question to ask here when we're developing policy to address risk. Are we actually mitigating or minimizing or reducing risk, or are we just redistributing it? And if we're redistributing it, then there are really important questions to ask around who is taking on that risk, as well as you point to you know, the psychological safety piece um, and I think that that's something, again, that, you know, often we're trading off against the, the physical safety of, you know, protection from an infectious agent, but that there's then psychological harm. And again, potentially to uh, providers as well uh, in terms of you know, how they then aren't able to, you know, use families and loved ones to help support the care as well. So again, as you say, it's complicated and uh, and it's, yeah, we want to acknowledge, of course, it's very difficult to write policies around these things. And it's not that uh, you know, we imagine that any of this is easy. So there's something you brought up is that right at your beginning, uh, when you were talking about some of the things that interested you around uh, the reciprocity in terms of the healthcare organization having an obligation as well as the healthcare provider that we need to think about when we're creating policies. And I'm wondering if you wanted to say any more about that piece of it and how we look at risk and risk management through the lens of the organization's obligations. Maybe to summarize uh, a bit of what the article say around this thing. So a healthcare institution have a duty to, on as I said earlier, on, on the one hand, provide care to patients, but also at the same time, provide a safe work environment. I mean, these things should go hand in hand, but uh, but during an infectious disease outbreak, there might be tension around these obligations. So um, it's reasonable to expect that a healthcare institution introduce strategies to reduce risk for healthcare providers, such as, for example, PPE, social distancing, if it's possible. It could also maybe be shifting to virtual uh, appointments if that's possible. Um, but there's also other uh, risk reducing strategies that a healthcare institution might wanna might wanna use. For example, if um, y- you might wanna provide healthcare providers with a choice, and you can accommodate um, their their willingness to take on risk or not. You might also wanna consider as a healthcare institution whether it's necessary to exclude exclude uh, certain high risk activities. Um, and specific groups from working. And uh, for example, the article talk about learners and that some trainees or learners might be uh, under undue influence. And you wanna avoid that people uh, feel under pressure to take on risk and uh, expose themselves to a higher risk. So you might choose policies uh, to make policies around that. But I think um, when you introduce such strategies, if you have a healthcare institution where you might have a limited number of healthcare providers available, and if you have to accommodate a high number, uh, there might not be any choice for those who who are sort of 
left or at some point they might they might not have a choice anymore because some people do have to care for patients um and uh yeah so so that was that was sort of one of one of the things that and the other thing i wanted to say in in that context also is that of course, what the individual healthcare provider chooses as well, if they have a choice, might influence the team as such. So, so it's not. I mean that that whole team, the influence on the team and how teams are going to work uh, will also be influenced by what policy you choose. If you choose a an opt in or opt out policy, that um, you might not really be able to accommodate that in the long run, especially if a pandemic like the one now goes on for a very long time. So yeah, it illustrates nicely that, that that reciprocal obligation is complicated for organizations as well. And again, that piece around, you know, are you minimizing or just redistributing the risk and how is the risk distributed between the organization versus those who either work within it or seek care from it? So again, not no easy answers to these sorts of questions um, and the challenges you point to as well around balancing individual autonomy and respect for providers' choices with the recognition that those choices often have effects, both direct and indirect, and how to, again, uh, balance those appropriately and respectfully in a policy that enables the organization to continue functioning. So as we you know, bring our discussion to a conclusion here, I feel like it might be you know, useful to sum things up by looking at what this article tells us about why it's complicated when we look to address risk in healthcare ethics practice. So do you want to take a first stab at, uh, at what you take away from this article around what makes it complicated? Yeah, well, I think, I think I've already sort of highlighted the really, uh, like when it gets really complicated and that's, that's uh, when you're in, introduce policies to manage risk and then you might potentially shift risks or create risks in other areas that's that's really when it it gets very complicated uh, the other really complicated part is of course what we've just talked about the when you want to accommodate autonomy but then you realize that the limited amount of human resources that you have available might not um allow for for those policies to really be efficient because it it has too too high consequence for those who are left and it might actually end up if you really uh, insist on um healthcare providers having the uh, the choice of opting in or opting out then um it might actually influence patient care in the long run because if you have the, the fewer healthcare providers you have available to work, the potential increase in risk of safety also to patient um, might come into play. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think similarly you know, for me, what I think this article shows really nicely is the full range of values and considerations that you're trying to incorporate into a particular policy or response or guidance document and just the challenges of trying to find the balance uh, for an organization and just recognizing that there's also a whole host of contextual features that are going to matter for any particular case or any particular policy um, and that are also going to need to be taken into account along with the evidence, along with the values. Um, and that, again, that's just 
hard, difficult, complicated work to uh, to take on. And as I think we've really seen throughout the COVID-19 pandemic as organizations have you know, tried to respond to these sorts of questions in real time, you know, under significant pressures from all sides. So thank you so much, Lisbeth, for joining me for this conversation. Um, I feel like we've you know, been able to at least highlight um, the ways in which this article might be interesting for folks as they perhaps reflect back on some of the experiences that they had during COVID-19, as well as thinking about how do we look forward and hopefully be more prepared for the next time we're forced to deal with these sorts of questions. So I'd like to thank uh, Lisbeth, as well as our administrator, Krista Mleszko-Skerry, and the team at Dalhousie MedIT for production support on this podcast. Thanks to Ben Caps for our theme music, and thank you for listening. Please feel free to contact Enshen through our website with any feedback you have about the potential that uh, this podcast has for, again, reaching you with uh, resources that are useful in your practice uh, and that hopefully might make it a little less complicated as you go forth. Thank you so much. Thank you.